Hey everybody, it's Dave from the Leader Lab Podcast. I am so excited. My new book, The Myths of Creativity, The Truth About How Innovative Companies and People Generate Great Ideas, is finally published. You can get a copy of the book at your bookseller of choice, or you can get a free copy of it on audiobook from our friends at Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash lead, register for your free 30-day trial of Audible, and you can even download your first audiobook right from there. Friends, thank you so much for your support leading up to and even after the publication of this book. I could not have done it without you. This is your book just as much as it is mine, and I hope you read the book, enjoy the book, and please let me know your thoughts after you finish it. I'd love to hear them. Thank you so much for all of your support. This is Todd Henry, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Todd Henry. I'm the founder of Accidental Creative, and I'm also the author of two books, The Accidental Creative and a new book that's uh, releasing September 26th called Die Empty. And, and I should say, you're, uh, welcome back. He, Todd is, a, is one of our <laughs> roster of, of Leader Lab all-stars, right? He is now making his second appearance on the show. And, and the reason is that The Accidental Creative was, was awesome, and Die Empty is awesome. And I sort of see a, a parallel between the two in that there were the, the mission of Accidental Creative was to sort of, I think you call it an arms dealer for the creative revolution. I love that. Um, and I think the die empty uh, goes right along that with if you're passionate, if you've begun, here's how um, to move even forward. And, and the die empty title, if I remember, is not about you know dying. It's about making sure that when you breathe your last, you have poured out everything that you have, right? But tell me a little bit about the transition and from AC, what encouraged you and motivated you to write die empty? Yeah, so uh, you know, I've been really fortunate to get to work with a lot of companies, and I get to speak at a lot of events, you know, as you do, David. And after these events, I mean, I, I would get people who would come up to me, and uh, you know, I'm maybe not ashamed to say, kind of weepy-eyed, you know, a little, a little emotional in these lines after um, after the, some of these talks. And the conversations inevitably turned toward, um, you know, hey. I, I love what you're talking about with creativity. I feel like I'm doing good work. I feel like I'm being recognized for my work. I'm making a sufficient salary. Everything seems to be great. My career is on track, but I don't feel like I'm getting the work that's really valuable to me out in the world. I don't feel like I'm really bringing the fullness of who I am to what I do every day. You know, I'm, I'm kind of conforming myself to what's required of me, but personally, I don't feel like I'm, I'm getting that, that best of me out every day. And I kept having these conversations over and over and over and over again. And it reminded me, David, of the story that I tell at the end of The Accidental Creative, which is, you know, I, I was in a meeting and a friend of mine asked an out-of-the-blue question, the friend who was leading the meeting. He said, what do you think is the most valuable land in the world? And we're all throwing out these guesses like, oh, I don't know, oil fields of the Middle East or you know, the gold mines of South Africa. And we're throwing out all these guesses. And he said, no, no, no. The most valuable land in the world is the graveyard because in the graveyard are buried all of the unlaunched businesses, all of the unexecuted ideas, all of the unreconciled relationships. And, and all of these things people took to their grave with them because they didn't do their best every day to empty themselves of, of what was in them. And so I went back to my office that day and I wrote two words, die empty, on a note card. I put them on my wall. I put them in my notebook. And they really have been the defining ethic for the last decade of my life because I want to know when I lay my head down at the end of my life, 
I don't have any regrets about where I put my focus, my assets, my time, and my energy. You know, I always tell people your fate determines your fate, right? Your focus, your assets, your time, your energy. Where you put those four things ultimately determine the body of work that you build. And so I want to make sure that every single day, David, I'm building a body of work that is consistent with what I care about, with what I value, so that at the end of my life, I can point to it with pride and say, yes, that represents who I am. So that's really kind of the genesis of it. And, and the accidental creative, in many ways flows directly into Die Empty because the accidental creative is about building practices to help you have ideas when you need them. And Die Empty is about, okay, great. What are you going to do then about those ideas? Once you have them, how are you going to bend your life around work that matters to you? You know, and I, th- I think this is a, a huge deal. And, you know, we, we have been talking about it um, because even, even in my own book, I, I end with that sort of mousetrap myth idea that it's about making ideas happen inside an organization, getting the freedom to do what it is you feel called to do. And there's, there's research behind it from an organizational standpoint about engagement and getting the best out of people when they're intrinsically motivated. I, I feel like, and, and in reading everything around Die Empty, I, I feel like there's two barriers a lot of times that, that you sort of address which is inside the organization, finding the freedom to be able to do the work you want to do. And then there's also from a time perspective individually, right? We have this weird tendency to focus on things that are urgent but not important. But let's maybe let's take those in turn and talk about individually how can we structure our life and our day. I love the FATE acronym, um, but how, how do we do that? How do we focus our, our attention and our time, our energy, when all of these other pressing needs happen in life? And then on a larger level, how do we do it in an organization, maybe even if we need to make a shift into how we serve that organization to do our best work? Yeah, well, I, I, one, one thing that I think is a really important thing to, um, to, to draw lines around is to recognize that it's not about this isn't about um, doing work that you know, like like quitting your job and going and joining a, a nonprofit, or um, you know, doing doing things that are necessarily. I mean, making the world a better place. I'm using air quotes. You can't see it because we're on an audio call, but uh, making the world a better place, right? And some people think, well, I need to quit my job and move to Af- Africa and work with Doctors Without Borders or something. And, and you know what? That's fine. That's great. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. But I believe that the way that we're going to solve the problems in the world world that we see today um, is not by people opting out and going and joining nonprofits or doing something like that in the, in the, the, um, uh, the social sector. It's going to be in people choosing instead to figure out how to bring themselves fully to what they do every day, to refuse mediocrity, to say, I'm not going to allow others or the forces of stagnancy to rule my life. I'm not going to allow mediocrity to rule my life. Instead, I'm going to be purposeful about engaging with everything I have with whatever is in front of me. So it's not about, am I on the right playing field? It's about, am I bringing everything I can to the playing field I'm on before I decide if it's the right playing field or not for me? Um, And, you know, a lot of people, and you and I know that this happens all the time, people say, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go find another job. I'm going to go jump to some other occupation, uh, because they're dissatisfied. And then six months later, you check in with them and they're dissatisfied again because they haven't addressed the core issues that lead to mediocrity and stagnancy. And there are kind of seven areas, David, where I think we have to be very careful to monitor for, um, stagnancy and mediocrity, because no matter how accomplished we are, no matter how far we are in a career, they can easily slip into our lives or our organizations. And those seven I uh, put in, in Die Empty in the order A, B, C, D, E, F, G to make them memorable. Uh, they, there were different words that came up in the research, but you know, just to make them uh, easier to, to latch on to, I put them in A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And they are aimlessness, 
which is lacking a defining through line for your work. It's lacking a cohesive understanding of where your work is going. And it's really difficult to engage. And you address this in your work as well. If you haven't defined the problems you're trying to solve, it's really hard to solve them. So you have to be really good at defining a through line and figuring out how do all these things I do every day connect with one another so that I feel a sense of momentum in my life and my work. Um, B is for boredom. There are people that I call the busily bored. They are very busy. They've got a lot going on. They're very mentally active, but they are bored silly because they're not pursuing their curiosity. They're not stoking the fires of their mind. Um, they're not filling their well on a regular basis. So we have to obey um, our natural curiosities. And, and there's some practices I prescribe in the book to, to help people do that as well. C is for comfort. Uh, I believe firmly, and I wrote about this in The Accidental Creative, the love of comfort is frequently the enemy of greatness in our life. It frequently is the harbinger of eventual decline. We cannot pursue comfort and great work simultaneously. They are mutually exclusive objectives. Eventually, you will have to choose between great work and comfort. Um, great work is done over time by people who choose to do what's right in spite of the fact that it's uncomfortable. So we can't allow comfort to, to define our engagement. D is for delusion. And uh, this means living with a narrative that rules your engagement or rules your sense of what you're capable of, what you're not capable of, or honestly, uh, a narrative that uh, causes you to, to put your focus in the wrong place. You know, Some people grow up with the understanding they're good at a certain thing, and maybe that's really not where they should be putting their energy. Or somebody tells them, hey, be practical and become an accountant or, um, well, you know, you're just not a good problem solver. And people hear these things when they're younger and they become the, the way that they engage their life. And as a result, it, it limits their ability to engage. So we have to become aware of those narratives and um, work against them where necessary to, to ensure that we're not falling into mediocrity and stagnancy. Um, e is for uh, uh, ego. And <laughs> this is, you know, of course, this doesn't apply to you, David. This doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to any of the listeners, right? But I mean, ego is a sinister force. Ego doesn't, by the way, mean the, the typical bombast that comes charging into the room and says, hey, look at me, everybody. Look how great I am. Ego can look something like this. Fine. You're not going to listen to me. I'm going to go over in the corner and, and, and work all on my own. Fine, I'm not going to bring my, my contribution anymore. If you're not going to listen to my ideas, I'm just going to go over here in the corner and we'll see how well you do without me. Well, when you do that, you're allowing somebody else to define your engagement. You're abdicating your contribution. So we have to be careful not to allow the, the forces of ego to cause us to grow uh, stagnant and to grow um, inflexible in our work. Um, F is for fear. Fear is uh, when the perceived consequences of risk outweigh the perceived benefits of success. So we stay in the corner. We don't find our voice. We don't try things. We don't say yes to opportunities because we'd rather hover close to the center. Um, if we want to continue to move up the mountain, we want to move closer to our goal, we have to say yes strategically to new opportunities and new risks. As a friend of mine, Thad Cockrell, says, we have to be willing to walk into dark rooms and flip the light on. Now, we don't know what's in there. It might be a man-eating lion, right? We don't know. But we have to be willing to walk in and flip the light on and, and see what's in there. And then the final one is, gee, it's guardedness. Guardedness is when we become closed off to other people, when we turn inward. And this is what happens a lot of times when people become successful. They become closed off to others. They don't have other people in their life speaking truth to them. And so they don't get their best work out of them because they're not engaging according to a defined sense of reality. Instead, they're kind of living their own narrative, their own, their own reality, because there's nobody around to help them become better at what they do. So A, B, C, D, E, F, G, aimlessness, boredom, comfort, delusion, ego, fear, and guardedness. And what we have to do is build practices into our life to scan our life for those forces and where they might be taking hold of us, and then build countermanding practices to help us stay on a true and steady course.
I I totally agree, and I, I love the uh, the structure actually that you brought to AC and to Die Empty. I still remember Fresh, uh, yeah. which if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're gonna have to get you're gonna have to order two books, Die Empty and Accidental Creative, and check out Fresh too. But I, I think you're totally uh, you're on board. When I I work with college students um, every day as part of my day job, and I tell them all the time. No one is hiring for dream job, right? There's no position out there that says <laughs> dream job, and you can't just apply for it. And and I think people tend to think it's just a matter of finding my dream job. This is to to your point about Doctors Without Borders or, or whatever it is, or even inside of companies, right? No one's hiring you to do that amazing job that utilizes all of your strengths and lets you express yourself fully. When you look at the people who have their dream jobs, they, they didn't get hired for it. They built it. That's they right. came in somewhere else, and they began to make subtle shifts and get very clear. I loved your idea about uh, aimlessness. They got very clear about how they needed to express themselves and made subtle shifts over a, a longer period of time and built themselves into their dream job. But but I wonder, that's that's on an individual level. Um, I feel like these are important if you're in a leadership role, too, to help your people develop. You know, I, I see it way too often in the strengths movement, and I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I think it's a, a, a huge boost to productivity and engagement, all of those things. But too often it's like we take a test and we say, oh, these are our strengths. These are how we can express ourselves. And then we don't do anything else because what happens if you're not – if your clear-cut role now is not one that plays to your strengths? And that's where, it's, uh, truthfully, it's a leadership failure of having the ability to build those people into it. If, if I'm a leader of an organization or even of a team within an organization, how do I help people build those practices around A, B, C, D, E, F, and G? Well, you, you, we have to recognize that you are building tomorrow's success today. And you're building tomorrow's failure today, that what you do today, how you plant seeds today, uh, the skills you develop today, the way you lead your team today, the way you define the through line for your team today, the kinds of resources you feed to your team today, the kinds of goals that you set to stretch your team out of its comfort zone, right? Uh, and and, and uh, we were talking about this in our interview for, for your book, but the idea that you know we don't want to allow people to become content. We don't want to allow them to become stagnant. We have to... Um, encourage dissent on our teams and challenge them to be discontent with where they are and to keep stretching and growing. Um, don't allow false narratives or, um, or, or ghost rules to, to, to rule the organization. Um, do not allow your ego as a leader to make you become inflexible. You know, instead, um, squash ego wherever you can and encourage people to speak truth to one another. Um, Take strategic risks to help your team find its voice. Encourage people to take small risks. Don't punish risk. This is a ridiculous thing that people do in organizations. They punish the very thing that creates tomorrow's value. Every organization was the result of some kind of strategic risk that somebody took. The value that was created in a business was the result of somebody taking a strategic risk. And then the moment that happens, everybody closes the wagons and circles around it and says, okay, now we have to protect this thing that we did once upon a time. You lose the soul of the organization. Now, this doesn't mean you should be hedging your bets or you should be uh, uh, going all in every day. That's ridiculous. Nobody does that. But you need to encourage strategic small risks as you know, Peter Sims calls it, you know, little bets, right? We need to encourage these little bets in the organization. Um, Jim Collins talked about firing bullets and then cannonballs. You know, don't, don't fire your cannonball before you calibrate your shot. But you need to be encouraging people to calibrate their shots and, uh, and take small risks. And then most importantly, stay connected to your team. Encourage conversations that are challenging that cause you to have to uh, to respond 
to things that maybe you don't want to hear, but it's only by encouraging those kinds of conversations that your team will truly um, collaborate effectively. If people are holding things inside, that's to nobody's benefit. So all of those things, you know, the through line and the uh, feeding your team challenging stimuli, all these things, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, this is a part of your role as a leader of encouraging people to avoid those areas of stagnancy in, in their life. And ultimately, your organization is people. So if your people are stretching themselves to be their best, your organization is going to do likewise. No, I, I totally agree. And I feel like even sadly, even from a leadership perspective, sometimes we uh, get so afraid that uh, Seth Godin actually says that the higher up a person gets in an organization, the more their focus becomes keeping their job, right? And so the, the top levels of a lot of organizations, they're not focused on risks because risks run the possibility of losing the comfort that they have. Mm. Um, but, but the success, the lifeblood of an organization depends on the ability to remake it, take little bets, but also not even be afraid to cannibalize what you used to serve the wagons around in in pursuit of that new thing. Uh, my my um, colleague Rita McGrath talks about competitive advantage has moved to transient advantage, and you can't have that without people who are engaged in their work, pouring themselves out to be their sort of very best, and have the the freedom to take those risks. I think I think it's an amazing amazing um, idea. Well, and I think you, you just hit on an important word, you know, freedom, um, you know, for, with freedom comes responsibility. I think it was uh, uh, Victor Frankl who said the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast should be accompanied by a Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast, right? And um, this idea of freedom, this idea that with every freedom comes responsibility, or how can we use Peter Parker, with great freedom comes great, you know, whatever. But but there's truth to that. And the thing is, your team needs to recognize, hey, I am giving you the opportunity to take strategic risks because we believe we've hired the right people. And with that risk comes responsibility. It's your responsibility. It's not the organization's responsibility to babysit your risks, right? We need you to take responsibility for those risks because we know that's where the value is going to come from for the organization. Yeah, no, totally. And, and you know, I think it's uh, – uh, Jeffrey Pfeffer in his book Power talks about there's a, a inverse correlation between power and autonomy, right? The higher up in an organization you go, the harder the, the organization makes it for you to have freedom and autonomy. And so therefore, to me, the, the extrapolation out of that is it's incumbent upon the leaders to make sure the people who still have autonomy and freedom can express it and to some extent act as a human shield and make sure those people are still protected even from higher up less or more risk averse people so that they have that freedom. Because autonomy, there's there's... I don't even need to begin to cite the research on it. We'll be here all day. But there's a link between how autonomous people are, how much they can express themselves, take risks, and the innovation and the lifeblood of the organization. And that it falls on, I think it falls on leadership. But truthfully, if the leader's not there and not willing to do it, this is what I love about Die Empty, it falls on you. And ultimately, your ability to get into a dream job, express yourself fully, and, and be of value to the organization is still your responsibility. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and uh, you know, getting people to understand, listen, your success or your failure, your creative growth, your engagement is your responsibility. And that's, you know, that's why it's so important for us. And people are looking to cultures. You know, I want to be a part of a culture. I want to be a part of a culture that's, that's whatever. And, and th there certainly are unhealthy organizations, right? But you have to be thinking about what do I bring to where I am? How can I, you know, not to maybe get a little cheesy on this, right? how can I bloom where I'm planted? How can I learn to thrive where I am? And guess what? If you're bringing everything you can and maximizing the opportunity that's in front of you and you hit a, hit a ceiling, then you can look, look elsewhere and you 
you can you can move on and you can grow and that's great and there's nothing wrong with that it happens to everyone it's happened to both of us at certain points in our career right but you but you have to make sure you're maximizing the opportunities in front of you first and that's really what DIMD is about it's not about lay your head down exhausted every night because you've tried to get everything out of you. It's about spending your life in such a way that you won't have later regrets about where you spent your focus, your assets, your time, and your energy. It's about laying your head down at the end of your life and saying, I have built a body of work that I can be proud of. Not because it's internationally recognized, not because I became a billionaire, not because I built some great cultural um, uh, icon of some sort. No. Or, or uh, built Apple or I built you know Facebook. No, it's not, it's not that. It's not that at all. It's about being who you are, bringing who you are to your work and engaging in such a way. And your work, by the way, is not just your job. It's also your family. It's your relationships. It's any place you add value in your life. The book is about making sure you're bringing all of who you are to everything that you do every day so that you don't have later regrets. And and I think the book provides an amazing roadmap for doing that. You know, I, I think it's ironic. There's always this saying that nobody goes to the grave saying, I wish I had spent more time at the office. But I don't think it's true. I think plenty of people go to their grave saying, I wish I had done better work, right? Oh, I agree completely. I, I think that is a myth. I think the idea that um, people, nobody wishes for an, another day of work is completely askew because I think a lot of people regret not having followed their intuition, not having taken small strategic risks and instead, you know, settling for comfort. I think a lot of people go to their grave questioning those decisions. Um, and by the way, again, work isn't just your job. Work is also your family. It's, it's your relationships. It's all these other things. Are you telling me that nobody regrets having not put more effort into the things that they did? No, of course, that's the primary source of regret. As a matter of fact, there's a researcher I uncovered in the course of, of my research who discovered that the, the single biggest thing that people regretted later in life was saying no to opportunity. And the people who had the higher, higher satisfaction with their life were people who had said yes, even when they had failed in those opportunities, they had said yes, and they had tried things. So my wife and I have made a decision in our life, um, that we're going to regret the things we do, not the things we don't do. So if we make a decision and it completely tanks our, our family or our finances or a business or whatever, if, if, if that happens, we're, we, we probably will regret that, and that's fine. Um, but we're not going to regret that nearly as much as saying no to things that could have provided tremendous value in our life. So we want to regret the things that we we don't. We want to regret the things we do because we want to be active. We don't want to regret the things we don't do because we're settling for comfort. And, and to our listeners, if you if you want to be that, if you want to make sure that you die empty, I encourage you, unleash your best work every day. Check out Die Empty. Todd, if it's okay, I want to switch a little bit from the book to you and ask you a couple questions. What are you reading right now? Oh, man. Okay. You caught me off guard. Uh, let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna open up my Kindle. I'm reading. I'm reading a couple of books right now. I'm reading A Place of My Own uh, by Michael Pollan. You probably know him from. Uh, um, uh, the Omnivore's Dilemma and some of the other books that he's written, but he wrote a book well before that about his quest to build a little writing cabin in the woods. And, uh, you know, sort of the, it's, it's, um, I think the subtitle is the architecture of daydreams, I think is, is what, you know, the subtitle of the book. And it's about his quest to study architecture, figure out the importance of spaces on the creative process. And, um, it's just an absolutely fascinating, fascinating book. So highly recommend that. It's definitely good. Um, I'm also reading right now. I, I just finished um, listening to, um, again, once again, Lateral Thinking by Edward de Bono, which I know, I mean, that's kind of one of my staples I go back to once a year, um, kind of one of the classics of uh, creative thought. 
And um, I also recently finished uh, listening to a book called Control-Alt-Delete by Mitch Joel, which is about rebooting your business, rebooting your life. Um, Mitch and I are having a conversation for his podcast. I read his book a long time ago, um, the physical copy of it, but uh, I I grabbed the audio book because I wanted to listen to it again. So those are the things I think that are um, primarily on my brain right now. And then I'm also going through a a ton of manuscripts, (laughs) uh, people who are sending me books that that want endorsing, which is one of the awesome things, right, about um, being able to to, to do this is I, I get to read a lot of books before they come out. And um, so I never have a shortage of reading material. Hmm, no, that's awesome. No, I, I totally agree with you. That's one of the more fun things about truthfully about having a podcast is you get this kind of cool pre-order thing. So, um, you know, I, I want all our listeners to stay listening to us, but start your own podcast too and get, get some of those uh, advanced notice into stuff. Now, <laughs> one, one more question for you. Um, what's next for you? This, this book is, is launched. Oh, well, I should say, that we're, this won't go live till after the book's out, but the book is launched, but by no means is that process done. But I want to see what, what's on the horizon for Todd Henry, for AC, uh, for all of those things. What's next for you? Yeah, so I continue to try to get this message out to people, and that's really what's on the foreseeable horizon for me. I am um, continuing to try to get in front of as many people as I can and tell them, be purposeful about how you structure your life, your work, your creative process, because uh, brilliant work doesn't happen by accident. It's the result of discipline, of practice. Uh, over the course of time and understanding your objectives, defining success, defining failure, and making sure that you have some boundaries and parameters. Orson, uh, Orson Welles said that the absent of, uh, absence of limitation is the enemy of art. Right, And um, so we need to have some defining parameters around our terms of engagement uh, so that we can get messy and, and really wild in our work. But we have to have some sense of limitation so that we can put our focus, our assets, our time, and our energy in the right place. So for me, it's getting out in front of as many people as possible. I think I told you over the next month or so I'm going to be in front of, I don't know, how many tens of thousands of people sharing this message. And I'm, I'm super excited to do that, um, but just continuing to do that in ever-increasing measure. And I'm also starting work on the next book. So there's that too. <laughs> well, we'll look forward to the next book. We're also looking forward. You're doing amazing work and anything we can do to support it. Um, it it's a cause worth fighting for. And we're, we're in that fight too. So in the meantime, though, Todd, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Thanks, David. 